for the next three weeks, I want to talk to you about your home. Um, I'm going to meddle, but I'm going to meddle in love. And you got to understand, if I meddled with you, I've already been meddled with. Because I'm the one who had to get ready for this, right? So any meddling that happens with you already happened with me. So Family Matters, that's going to be the name of the series. It'll be just a simple three-weeker. And today I want to talk about homes under attack. And, and I want to share with you God's plan for the family. Because God had a plan. I want you to know that God never creates anything he doesn't have a plan for. Can I say that again? God never creates anything that he doesn't have a plan for. God is a God of planning. So we're going to read in Genesis 2.24. This verse is going to show us the beginning of the institution of the family. God bringing a man and a woman together. So let's read it together out loud. Ready? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It is the eternal word of God. It is always true. And Lord, I just thank you that your word renews our minds and changes our lives. And I pray that you'll renew our minds today and change our lives and change our minds. Help us to understand when we walk out these doors what the plan of God was and is for creating the family. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart? I receive the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God's got a plan for your home. Now, I want you to understand with me that, um, by the way, good to see you here in the 12 o'clock service. Amen? I want you to know that... um, God had something in mind when he created your home. If you're single, you still have a home. You're going home to a home. And, uh, of course, if you're married, you've got a home. And if you have kids, you have a real major challenge of a home. So I'm first today, I'm going to do a little bit more teaching than preaching because I want to lay the foundation for what God had in mind for the home. I'm going to show you going back to the book of beginnings, which is what Genesis means, beginning. Um, So we're going to look what the book of beginnings tells us about the home. Now, next Sunday, I'm going to talk about the atmosphere of your home because there's an atmosphere in this building right now, in this sanctuary, atmosphere of worship. The spirit of the Lord is here. Um, It's an atmosphere of honoring Jesus, an atmosphere of peace. And God also has an atmosphere for your home. There's an atmosphere in your home. Anytime you walk into your home, there's an atmosphere. There is, there is something there. It's either uplifting or not. It's either worldly or, or godly. And uh, I'm not going to hammer you with different things and say, here's the way you ought to be. I'm just going to hold up God's ideal so that we can reach for something. Amen? Amen. And then the week after, I'm going to talk to you about how to handle conflict in the home. Now, I know, I know you never have conflict in your home, but this is just in case you ever do, you know, on that rare time when you have a conflict in your home. I'm going to show you how to handle conflict God's way. Because, folks, there are, there are way, there, there's two ways to handle conflict, God's way or the flesh's way. And if you don't know God's way, you will always divert to the flesh 
and handle conflicts in a fleshly way. So I'm going to deal with that uh, two Sundays from now. But let's just begin with the home so we can understand it. God has given us three institutions in the earth, three things that he has ordained, and that is the home, the government, and the church. Those are God-ordained institutions. Now, let me tell you what they're for. The government was given to ensure that we could live in domestic peace, safe from harm. Do you know what the original purpose for the government was? To be sure that you were safe and to deliver your mail. Now, can we go back, please? I would love to go back. Just keep me safe and deliver my mail and leave me alone. But that was the original purpose of government, to keep us safe and to deliver our mail. And boy, we've gotten away from that. But in Genesis 9, you will find that God established government through Noah. Now, the church was designed to raise up mature Christians, send the gospel into the world, and undergird and strengthen the home. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The church is an institution. I don't mean that to sound dry or boring, but it's an institution. It's a God-ordained institution. So we have, we have government, and we have the home that God has established, divine institutions, the, the family. Let's talk about the family a minute. The first institution God established was the family, and he did it before the fall. The other two he did after the fall. But the home he established before the fall. He brought Adam and Eve together before they ate of the forbidden fruit. And so the family is the first and only institution that God established before man fell. It was that important to God. It was first in the mind of God. I'm going to establish the home. And he intended for the home to be the bedrock of society. Your society is no stronger than the homes in it. If the homes in society are failing, so is the society. The home is the place where children are to be trained in the ways and the wisdom of God. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. So the home is a place of training. It's a training ground. It's where the children learn values, where they learn truth, where they learn about God, where they are to see it modeled in mom and dad, not perfectly, but sincerely. So it's a training ground. And it's also designed by God to be a place of strength, a filling station where your, your strength tank is filled when you go home. It's not supposed to be a place of conflict. It's not supposed to be draining. It's not supposed to be depleting. It's not supposed to be discouraging. It's supposed to be a, a strength, a place of strength and encouragement and recognition of the various members of the household's gifts and encouraging them to go that direction. It's to be a place of love and acceptance, unconditional love. The home is supposed to be a place where we are encouraged where you walk out the door ready to take on the world because you're leaving an atmosphere that was positive and good. Now, I'm just telling you what God's plan was. I am well aware that homes are under attack. And again, please understand 
where I'm coming from today is not to discourage you. I'm holding up what God had in mind because I think we all here today understand that what God had in mind is for the most part not what you see in a fallen world. But we have the revelation of Scripture to show us what God did have in mind with a home and gives us something to shoot for and reach for and aspire to. Are you with me? The family is at the center of all we do that is eternal and godly and lasting. The home is the hub of our strength as a culture. Most people do not understand the psychological and spiritual significance or importance of the home to you as an individual. Now I'm talking right to you. You are affected one way or another by your home life. And I'm going to show you how important it is. I found this, I dug this up. A University of Oregon professor did a 25-year study of stress inducers. What are the things that bring on stress more than anything else? And placing them in order from the greatest to the least by giving these stress inducers points. And he started with 100 and went down. So the greatest stress inducer was awarded 100 points. So let me just show you nine stress inducers real quick. Ready? The number one stress inducer that was awarded 100 points was the death of a spouse. And I can tell you it's true from personal experience. The death of a spouse was given 100 points. That was the top stress inducer. Now, let me look at the other ones real quickly. 73 points were awarded for a divorce. Nothing is more stressful beyond the death of a spouse than a divorce. 65 points were given for separation in a family. 63 points for a jail sentence. Hey, I'm going to tell you, if you put me in jail, I'm at 110. (laughs) But here's what he found, 63. 63 points were awarded for death of a close family member, not your spouse, but a close family member, 63 points. 53 points for illness or injury that is lingering. Then 47 points fired from a job. 47 point stress inducer. 45 for marital difficulties. If your marriage is going through difficulty, you have got a 45 point stress inducer sitting on you like an 800 pound gorilla. And then 45 for retirement. Now I read that and I went, but I thought you were supposed to rest when you retire. And you're telling me there's a 45-point stress inducer. But that's what they found. So, so when, a, when a person leaves their lifelong job and retires, it's stressful because they're so used to doing what they did. Now, I want you to notice something. Of those nine, six of them were directly related to the family, the home, in one way or another. So your home affects you, influences you, ha- has a powerful uh, uh, um, um, effect on you, for good or for bad, up or down, positive or negative. Our home life and the atmosphere there powerfully affects us in virtually every way. Now, take it a step further. A nation is no stronger than its families. Right now, America is no stronger than the families that comprise 300 million people. We are only as strong as the families are. This church is made up of families. Even if you're an individual, a single, living alone, you've still got a home. Our church is affected by our families 
We are as strong as our families. That's why in these next three weeks, I'm going to speak a blessing over your home. I'm going to speak a healing over your home. I'm going to speak peace over your home. I'm going to speak power over your home. I'm going to speak Jesus over your home, over your home. Somebody said it right. As the family goes, so goes the nation. As the family goes. And you know what? As, the, as your family goes, so go you. When the home falls, the government and church fail and fall right behind it. Even the non-Christian who wrote, Edward Gibbon, who wrote The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. We've all heard about that book, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Edward Gibbon was a Jewish a lost Jewish man, but he studied why Rome fell. And he wrote a classic book on it. And here's what he said. The undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis for human society, was one of the five major factors contributing to the fall of Rome. Rome rotted from the inside out. Immorality prevailed. Immorality just ran through that culture. And because of the immorality, the homes collapsed. And when the homes collapsed, the finances collapsed. Rome was in hyperinflation and all kinds of things began to multiply in the nation nobody thought would ever, could ever fall. But it did. And Edward Gibbons, brilliant man, looking at it said, at the hub of it, at the center of it, was the failure of the home. Is it any wonder looking at the importance of marriage and the home, is it any wonder that it's under spiritual attack? Because if I'm the devil, if I'm the devil and I want to bring a nation down or a church down or a city down, I'm going to attack the homes. See, every home in here, you need to understand, God wants you blessed, but you are in Satan's crosshairs. Your marriage, your money, what you do with your time, the atmosphere that prevails in your home, if you don't if you don't get preemptive with it, and if you don't get on the, the offensive with it, then the enemy is going to attack it. You've got to protect your home. And as the under-shepherd of this church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach trouble out of your home. I want to preach the blessing of God into your home. And I want you to understand first how important your home is to God. I want you to say with me, God's got a plan for my home. Now I'm going to count to three and we're going to do it one more time as if you're the one preaching. I want you to say it with gusto. Are you ready? God's got a plan for my home. God's got a plan. There's nothing he creates he doesn't have a plan for and a purpose. Now, let's go to the beginning. How did the home come about? When did God do it? And is it of God? Is it something I really need to be taking this seriously? Let me take you to the very beginning. We see in the very beginning, it began with the creation of man, you. And can I give you a little revelation today? You did not come from evolution. You did not come from an ape. Now, if you want to accept you came from an ape, then then evolution just made a monkey out of you. But you did not come from an ape. And you say, well, Jeff, that kind of makes you look dumb because everybody believes in evolution. The only reason they believe in it is because they were taught it from this yay high. But if I were an atheist and I was looking at life, I could not come to the conclusion that we came from evolution. It is still a theory, which means it's not a fact, though it is taught as fact. I much rather believe that in the beginning, 
God created. In the beginning, God created. He said, let there be, and there was. So you are a beautifully and wonderfully made, and since God made you, he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. And once you latch onto that plan, it will change your life. So we see, in the beginning, here's what happened. God created two distinct genders. Listen to what the Bible says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And then he didn't stop there. But he said, male and female, he created them. Now, right there, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is is addressing gender. He's talking about gender. He said, there's a man and there's a woman, and they are not the same. Amen. Every man in here say hallelujah. Now listen. Now, if you were to look at Genesis 127 in the original Hebrew, here's what it would say. It would say, in the beginning, God created the one male and the one female. He created one male and one female. When God created human beings, he created Adam and Eve, man and woman. In the Hebrew language, man is Ish, and woman is Isha. In the beginning, man created Ish and Isha, two distinct genders, a man and a woman. There were no spares, no options, and no alternatives. You got what you got. (laughs) This is going to be fun today, I can tell. This was the divine intention from the very beginning. God created and God had a plan for it. One man, Ish. One woman, Isha. Now next the Bible reveals clearly why he created the two distinct genders. The Bible says that God made Eve out of the rib of Adam and brought her to him. Now the Bible says that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam after he said, it is not good that a man should be alone. So he caused a deep sleep to fall upon him and a divine surgery took place. And God reached in and God took out a rib. And, and the Hebrew language is so strong here. He took that rib and it says he made, he fashioned, he formed the woman from the rib. So well, Jeff, do you really believe that? I believe it way more than that I came from an ape. say, well, how can you believe that? Well, I I believe even worse than that. I believe that God spoke and flung the stars into space, that he spoke and all the birds flew in the air, that that he brought something out of nothing, that God created ex nihilo, something out of nothing, because only God can do that. And if you don't think that God can do that, then you don't believe in a God, because a God, the God, can do that. He speaks and it happens. Everything came from the lips of God. So, of course, I believe he can take a bone, a rib, out of the man and fashion a woman out of it. And that's what happened. And you cannot get more intimate than this because God did not create the woman to go sightseeing with Adam through the Garden of Eden. He didn't create her to go to movies with him. 
He, he didn't, he, he created her, listen, to be at his side. The woman was fashioned and made out of the rib of Adam, placing her forever at his side. I believe this is why a man longs for a woman to be at his side, next to him, beside him, with him in his work. Because there's something primal in a man, something primal, something way down. He says, I I want a woman next to me. I want a woman laboring with me. I want a woman to share life with. There's something in a man that is there. And I believe it goes all the way back to this intimate thing that God did. He took and he made the woman out of the river. That's not demeaning to the woman. That is showing how close he intended them to be. So what Adam says next makes total sense. It says, therefore. Now, anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Because the word therefore is a connecting word. It means whatever was just said, I'm going to comment on it. So in light of what was just said about the woman coming from the rib of the man, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Therefore, since God made Ish and Isha, then therefore his plan was that the day would come that the man would leave father and mother and be joined to the woman and they would become one flesh because she came from him. God created man and woman to be joined together in his presence and to become one flesh in marriage that they would cleave, 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 cleave to one another. God brought the woman to Adam said, here she is. And I'll tell you, woman came from, when he saw her, he said, whoa, man. <laughs> come on, man, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's free. That's from the revised, wickwire, slanted, amplified version. <laughs> but now follow. He said, he said, here's God's plan for what he made. His plan is a man would leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they would cleave to one another. That word cleave is so strong. It means to bind together. It literally means to glue together, to be glued together, to be glued together. It's deep intimacy, deep commitment. God's design for marriage was the contracted union between two people who become one entity, one flesh. It is the only time in life when one plus one equals one. I marry people a lot. And when I have them in the altar, I have two people who who walk into that wedding, who walk into that building that day, two separate individuals. But when they say, I do, the two become one. One plus one becomes one. And something very, very powerful happens. A knitting, a binding, a, a, a cleaving where the, the, the two souls become one. And, 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 and God did this. God did this. Now, I got to say something about a great delusion and a lie that has been pushed by our culture. 
this whole notion of same-sex marriage, can I just deal with it from the Bible? Because if the Bible talks about it, I'll talk about it. If the Bible doesn't talk about it, I'm not going to talk about it. Since the Bible talks about it, I'm going to talk about it. Okay, so here we go. And, and I say this in love. I'm not pointing a finger to somebody or, or talking down to anybody because I too, when I was lost, got into many deceptions and I needed God to deliver me. And this is just a deception. I'm not attacking anybody. You can't call me a homophobe or a hater when I go into this because A, um, phobe, if you want to get technical, comes from the Greek word phobia, and that means a dreaded fear. And I don't have a dreaded fear of homosexuals or lesbians at all. I can love them. So there. <laughs> um, and, and you can't call me a hater because I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. Because I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. By the grace of God, I stand. And that's all. So having said that, let me tell you the truth from the Bible. Th this whole thing of same-sex marriage is a perversion of God's plan. Perversion means, here's Webster's, the alteration of something from its original purpose to a distortion or a corruption of what was first intended. Let me just cut that in half. A distortion, perversion is a distortion or a corruption of what was first intended. Well, what was intended? We know from Genesis what was intended. Ish and Isha were called to be married, to become one. God never designed Ish to marry Ish. Or Isha to marry Isha. If that would have been the better deal, that's what God would have created. But that is not what God created. In the beginning, there was an Ish and there was an Isha, and God brought Ish and Isha together. Now, you know why it's so quiet in here? Because many of you are struggling with this. You have been so bombarded with the cultural message and the cultural lie that if you don't accept this, you're a homophobe or a hater or a bigot or narrow-minded or whatever other adjectives they want to pin to you. And, and I tell you that that is just bunk because here's the real deal. The Bible couldn't be more clear. Now, you can go with the culture if you want to, but you will end up in confusion and you will end up wounded and you will end up in pain. If you go with the word of God, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have to take my stand on what scripture clearly says. And listen, I got somebody real impressive with me in this, and his name is Jesus. Now watch this. In Matthew's gospel, we have the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ on the subject of marriage. And Jesus was asked about the grounds for divorce. And his response totally affirms what I just said to you, quoting Moses. He quoted Moses. He answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the very beginning made them ish and isha, male and female? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying marriage is for the two genders. That's what he's saying right here. I'm reading it to you in black and white. Actually, it's in the red because this is the red ink. Jesus said this. He said it. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female in the beginning? That was God's original plan for what he made. And said, 
For this reason. What reason? That you have an ish and an isha. And for that reason, it is God's plan that they come together in holy matrimony. That a man shall leave for that reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So clearly, ladies and gentlemen, God's divine order, going back to the beginning, his perfect purpose and plan according to Moses and according to Jesus. Moses' Old Testament, Jesus' New Testament, was that a man, Ish, and a woman, Isha, would one day leave their parents and cleave to one another. That's it. So we're, we're tracking God's plan now. Here's God's plan. He makes, he makes Ish and he makes Isha. And then he says, the reason I made the two of you is so that you can come together in marriage. But he doesn't stop there. He says, there is a reason I'm bringing you together in marriage. Not just so you can love one another and walk through life together and do life together. But my, I have another plan, and that is family. Family. Because it leads to family. God next said in the very next verse... He said, now here's my plan for you, Ish and Isha. Here's my plan. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now watch the order here. Be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. Fill the earth. Have a bunch of kids. (laughs) Fill the earth. Have a bunch of families. In other words, may families flourish. And then subdue the earth. Notice the order. Come together have children, families spreading over the earth, and as those who are in God's divine order are married and have children, then is when the earth is subdued by those people. So there's no subduing until there is first a family. God has a plan for the family. It is through the family, righteousness, and the subduing of the earth under the lordship of Jesus happens. From this union between a man and a woman are to come children. Listen to what the psalmist said about children. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now that word heritage is inheritance. Children are an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. God is saying your children are to be a blessing until they hit 13. Now when they get 13, I have a plan. Build a wooden box. Put it out back and drill a hole in it, and put them in it. And when they turn 16, plug up the hole. That's free. I see some people in here that are about to have children. God bless you. May much grace be upon you when they hit 13. Because when they hit 13, another being altogether arrives at the house. But we'll talk about that another day. But watch this now. Here's God's plan. The children resulting from the cleaving marital covenant between a man and a woman are an inheritance from the Lord. And they are a reward, a blessing from his hand. But he doesn't stop there. Two verses later, he tells us something most people don't catch. But you've got to catch this. You're going to get it today. The purpose of children is not just to be a reward. But the purpose of children is that they would also end up standing with the parents 
in spiritual warfare. Say, so where do you get that, Jeff? I'm going to read it to you. Psalms 127.5, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them, lots of children. They shall not be ashamed. Watch this. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall. Who's they? It is the children. They shall speak with their, who's the their? The parents, the, the former generation. They shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let me put it another way. They will confront the enemy, your enemy, in the day of conflict. Let me put it another way. One generation hands the baton off to another generation. And that generation, and I'm talking about the ones that are handing the baton off, are people that are walking with the Lord, honoring God, seeking his face. And, and, and they, are, they are getting older and they have raised up children, and they're saying, now, you know what we love, you know what we hate. You know what our values are. You know our God. You know our Jesus. You know that we have glorified him. Now, son, now, daughter, here's the baton. Go confront the enemy at the gate. Man, this is good. I hope you're getting this. Because when God commanded the first couple to be fruitful and multiply, he said, then you will govern the earth, showing that the advancement of God's kingdom comes after there has been a holy union producing children. The psalmist places the children of godly parents at the gate of the city driving back the enemy. Now, you need to understand, in Old Testament times, here's what it's talking about. When an enemy wanted to take a city, they knew we've got to penetrate the gate. We've got to get through the gates. We can't just go scaling the walls. We've got to get through the gates. So they would attack. They would put their, their main forces attacking the entrance, the gates to the city. And they would strike it and push against it knowing that once we get through the gates, we can conquer the city and subdue it. Now, here's what it's saying. Children that are raised by parents that are seeking God. Now, let me show you the way your marriage ought to be. Here's a triangle like this. Top is the top of the triangle coming down, and then like this. Now, you have the two married people, Ish and Isha, at the bottom of the triangle. As they seek, and Jesus is at the top. As they seek Jesus together, they grow closer. Until finally, they have gone up in their walk with God, in their spiritual maturity, and they've both together gotten closer to each other as they have tried to get closer to him. That's God's plan for every marriage. See, and if you don't seek God together then what happens is the opposite. You go this way, and not only do you go leave, get far from him up here, but the further you get from him up here, the further you are from each other. Jesus is the glue that holds you together. He's a third party in every marriage. He's a third party. So the idea is, as these parents are seeking God, and they're having children, that these children are not just learning about salvation, but they're learning the values of Christianity, purity, 
holiness, obeying the word of God, putting him first, living for him, dying to yourself. All the values that come with Christianity, they're learning them. And, and the day comes when these children grow up. And you know what they do? They begin to confront the enemy at the gate. Man, oh man, you've got the children. I'm about to preach here today. This has got me worked up. I'm more worked up right now than I was the first two. I want you to know something today. This is God's plan. His plan is that you raise up godly missiles you send against the gates of hell. That they, they say, Dad, Mom, I got it. I got your values. I got your burden. I want to enter into your warfare. And they begin to confront the enemy that your parents have been fighting at the gate. You're not coming into this city. You're not going to take this nation. You're not going to take this church. You're not going to take this home. You're not going to do it. I'm here to confront you. They shall speak with the enemy at the gate. That's the purpose of family. And, and guess what? As that happens, the earth begins to get subdued. The earth begins to get subdued. Uh, the enemy is shut down here. The enemy is shut down there. Because now we've got generations coming up under us who have the same burden mom and dad had, and they're carrying the same baton, and they're in the same good fight. Amen. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Jeff, Wow. You're making me feel bad because I thought that I was doing everything right and my kids aren't talking to anybody at the gate. My kids have gone off. I've lost my kids. I have a word for you. Listen carefully to me. The, the seed that you have sown in them is greater than anything the enemy can throw at them long term. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, when he is older, he will not depart from it. They may be a prodigal today, but the prodigal one day woke up and said, what in the world am I doing? What in the world am I doing? Now see, if that prodigal had not had a memory of the father's house, he wouldn't have had anything to return to. But he had a memory because of the seed that was sown in him when he was young. He said, what am I doing? Eating pig's food? Living out here in pig slop? Messing around in pig mud? I had it so much better in my father's house. I believe I'm going to go home. And he got up and he went home because he had a memory. Stand with me today, would you? How many of you have heard me today? Now I want you to say with me together, can we? God created the two genders, male and female. Second, to come together in a cleaving marital union to produce children who carry on the good fight. That's God's plan for the family. So those of you whose kids are out there, be real transparent with you. I lost my son for years to drugs. And it almost killed me. And I had to, and Kathy and I, oh, we just wept. It just broke our hearts. Um, and I couldn't understand it because I'd prayed over him, spoken the word over him. 
I'd always been there for all the games. And yet he went, he went off into the darkness for a while. I was so disillusioned, not with the blood and my salvation, that I never doubted. But I was so disillusioned with what I had learned about raising a family that I went home, I got all of my Christian family books, I threw them into a box, and I took them to a dumpster and threw them away. I said, well, Jeff, you were mad. I said, no, I wasn't. Well, yeah, I was. I was a little mad, but I was disillusioned. I didn't understand that God never promised everything would go exactly the way you had hoped. What he did promise is, if you sow that seed in them, it's going to prevail. And about 15 long years ago, Jeremy had a turning point. That's why I call the church turning point. And he came back. And now, he hadn't touched anything. He's totally free. He's been free for 15 years. Totally. But here's the deal. Now, he has a little forum on the internet where he debates atheists. He'll call me, Dad, I haven't heard this one yet. What do you think? And I'll say, well, here's what I think. He'll go, okay, see ya. And he'll go back. He's confronting the enemy at the gate. That's what he's doing. Okay. And my little Julia, Julia, who was here in the second service, is going off to the mission field. She wants to touch little children for Jesus. She has a heart for children. And, and she, I know, I'm afraid, I'm going to lose her to the mission field. But she has a heart like her mother had. So now I'm watching my children after all these years speaking to the enemy at the gate. See? That's the plan of God. So I want us to lift our hands to Jesus today, can we? And just say, now, I'm going to be speaking blessing over you in the next couple of weeks in your home. Next weekend is Memorial Day. It doesn't mean it's no church day. Come to church anyway, and then go do your Memorial Day thing. But next week, don't miss it, because I'm going to talk about the atmosphere that prevails in your home and how to get you, how to establish the atmosphere that will bless you. But right now, I want us to give our homes to God. Can you just say, Jesus, I give you my home. I set aside my home for you. Lord, I'm asking you to take my home to a new level. Deliver us from conflict. Deliver us from chaos. Deliver us from the flesh. And help us to have heaven in our home. Now I speak blessing over your home. Listen, just let me just receive it. That you would be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. That your home would be blessed in the storehouse and blessed in the field. That you will be blessed in your going out from your home and blessed in your coming into your home. That something new and fresh is going to be breathed onto your home by God never-ending and useless and needless conflict is going to be shut down because the triggers are going to be removed. 
And Lord, that's my prayer for every home in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank the Lord right now?